Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for gathering with us today. There's a lot that you can do on a Sunday morning, and we're real honored that you guys would come and, and join us in worship of our King. I mean, this morning I woke up, and North Shore was super glassy, you know, the mountain was clear, and I was like, it's only because I love the Lord today. Should be slaying some fish right now, but it's all good, okay? This morning I want to talk to you about... Um, Loving your neighbor. Along with loving your God, it is the most important aspect of our Christian life. Jesus, when asked uh, of all the commands, which is the most important, he replied, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When asked by, uh, in, the, in the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, in the be- beginning of the parable, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and asks him, uh, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor. A rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and asks him, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus replied, why do you ask me um, about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commands. Yeah, and he lists off some that we hear in the Ten Commandments, and ultimately he ends with, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Second to loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus says the second and the most important aspect of our life here in this world is how we love one another. It is not a suggestion, it is a command, amen? Amen. It is a command. Uh, in Galatians 5.14 and in James 2.8, Paul the Apostle and James the brother of Jesus both make these claims, uh, not, not these claims, but they further assert what Jesus taught in saying that the entire law, yeah, all of the law of the Bible rests on this one phrase, love your neighbor. Pretty much saying if you forget them all, Remember this one thing and you'll get them right. Because onto the Ten Commandments, there were 613 other commands and there's a lot to remember. And Jesus says all those things can be fulfilled if we follow this one phrase. Love your neighbor. Paul would say in Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He would continue and says, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other command are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we just finished the series uh, recently with the youth on, on Monday nights, our, my, my middle school, high school group, or my high school, college age group. Uh, and we have been talking about this very topic of, of loving your neighbor. So I did a little bit of research. I was like, you know, where did this start? Where was it first mentioned? And we can go back to the book of Leviticus, 
So within the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses and given to God's people, there was this instruction given. And I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm just going to summarize a little bit of what is uh, the context through which uh, Moses is talking about loving your neighbor. So loving your neighbor consisted in not stealing from your neighbor. Shaka? That's good, right? You want to create good neighbors and good brothers and good friends, don't steal their stuff. I have this guy uh, who, who literally is like one of my neighbors. I don't really know him, um, but he, he lives on my street and local brother, and he is super trusting of the people of country. I mean, this guy will hunt, fish, dive. How do I know that? He leaves all his stuff outside. You know, I know when he comes back from a weekend of camping because his pole is on the, you know, and his net is, is hanging up, and I'm thinking, nah, this guy is brave, you know? But ultimately, for me to be a good neighbor to him is not walking across the yard and over the fence and grabbing his throw net that's hanging out, you know? So Moses says, right, if you want to have a brother, and this is to the Jewish community, okay? I mean, this isn't to strangers. This is people who ultimately are, are related to one another or distant relatives. And he says, hey, don't steal each other's stuff. Don't deal falsely with one another. Don't lie to one another. You shall not swear God's name falsely. You shall not uh, oppress your neighbor or rob from him or curse the deaf uh, or put a stumbling block before the blind. That's not good, you know? I mean, we have a lot of humor, right? See, I have Aiden here who's a 20-year-old who's laughing right now because that's the humor of our world right now, right? Where we take advantage of the underprivileged. And for Moses, he's like, that's just not good, you know? It may be funny for you and your friends, but it's, it's just not good, Okay. Uh, he would continue and he would say, uh, you shall not do um, injustice in court. You know, show no partiality to the poor, right? I mean, we treat the, the rich people better than the poor people. And I want to flip that a little bit. I mean, in this time, don't treat the rich guy worse than the poor guy. Sometimes we hear the poor people are like mad at the, ang- the, the rich people, you know? It works both ways. It works both ways. Um, don't slander. Don't hate your brother. Don't take vengeance. Uh, do not even bear a grudge. You know, ultimately, at the end of that, Jesus says, or communicate through Moses, that we should, and for the first time written in Scripture, love your neighbor. And so when we're talking about the law, yeah, uh, we're talking about the Ten Commandments that were given, yeah, which is awesome. I mean, you think about it, the Ten Commandments, the first time ever in the history of humanity that we have a written document from God saying, this is what I require of you. And at the very heart of it is loving God and loving your neighbor. Amen? That's good. Like we're not shooting, you know, targets in the dark. Like we actually have a target to hit. It was written out for us in Ten Commandments from our Father saying, hey, I love you so much, I'm going to give you instruction. Ultimately, you can summarize these ten into loving God and loving your neighbor. Moses and the teachers of the time took it super uh, intentional in these ten and then they kind of provided this mosaic law, which is 613 other commands that kind of wrapped itself around those ten. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy, you know? I mean, they would get to a place where they could even count, how, you would have to count how many steps you take in a day because if you took too many steps, it would be work. I mean, just 
at the very core of what they wanted to do is to love God. Amen? So let's not leave it up for interpretation. Let's dive into what these Ten Commandments are about and really hash these things out. Amen? I mean, it's, it's worth it, right? It's worth the discussion. By the time we get to Jesus, uh, there was not only the Ten Commandments and the 613 other uh, standards to live, but there, there's also these additional, what we call Midrash rabbinical teachings. So the teachers of the time, the pastors of the time, they would ad-lib, you know, to the current standings. And so the, if you were a, a follower of, you know, the faith, you had to remember all of these commands. Yeah, the 10, the 613 plus the other Sunday morning lessons that you get. Amen. Uh, and so just, just so you're, you're not off the hook, I want to say, so th- this is more like Old Testament, right? Ten Commandments, Old Testament, 613 laws, Old Testament, right? Uh, additional teachings from, from the rabbis of the time, you know, kind of outdated 2,000 years. But just so you're not off the hook, in the New Testament alone, there's a 1,050 commands just in the New Testament alone, yeah? Some of them, right? So uh, one thing not to believe, two classes to bless, three things to cast out, four things to believe, four things to charge, six classes to honor, seven things to abstain, seven seven other things to avoid, ten to do's, ten not to do's, 14 bewares, 30 be not, 74 bees, and that's just a handful of them, okay? All within... New Testament teaching, all of which can be summed up in pretty much one phrase, love God and love your neighbor. You guys following me? The importance of this phrase, love your neighbor. One of the truest expression of our love for God, right, which is most of the time internal, I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. It comes from within inside of us. Should be demonstrated outwardly in our love for one another. It's good? That's good right there. Let that simmer a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we talk about these things so, uh, you know, regularly. I mean, it's, it's in our mission statement here at Waipuna Chapel that sometimes it just gets a little watered down. Jesus wants to show up and say, hey, this is the most important aspect of our lives. How we love one another. Not only the people of the faith and the people of your family, but the lost too. Amen? Okay, so uh, let's, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper. So all of that you can research on your own. You don't have to come Sunday morning for that. I just did all the work for you. Okay? So let's go a little bit deeper when we're talking about what it really means to love your neighbor. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, in Matthew 5, 14 says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Head scratcher, no? So if you look in your Bible, if, if you have your Bible with you today, if you don't have a Bible at all, come and talk to me. You know, there's free download apps on you version you can get on your phone, or we have Bibles here, yeah? We want to definitely resource you with God's word. My advice to you is get a small one, because if it's small, you'll carry it with you all the time and always have God's word on you, okay? Anyway, so uh, I was looking, and if you look in your Bible, like, like in my Bible, right, ESV, uh, in, in this little pocket Bible I have, there's a little reference, and what verse does it reference? Leviticus chapter 19, 
right? And so I was thinking, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And I was like, okay. So I go back to Leviticus 19, and we covered it this morning. What isn't in Leviticus 19? Hate your enemy, right? Hate your enemy. It's not in there. So my question is, who is teaching these things, and what has happened? From when Moses delivered this uh, message until Jesus shows up, the message of love your neighbor became love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which just doesn't make sense, right? Okay, so Jesus would follow up, right? And he says, I would say to you, you know, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, right? So that's how Jesus turns it around. Um, and so I started doing some, some research. I talked to one of my professors from college. And uh, one of the things that had happened was from the time of Moses till Jesus came, uh, a lot had happened, you know, I mean, hundreds of years. But one of the things that had happened over time was the nation of Israel uh, got distant from the Lord. Their original, the original command to, to love God and have no other gods uh, before him, that was the very one that got attacked. So the nation of Israel started looking around at other gods that were created by men, and they started worshiping other gods of other nations. Their heart started getting distant, and then they started getting conquered. You know, they got conquered by the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians. And when they got conquered by these other places, along with the king and the rule came other gods, other practices, other norms, other beliefs. You following me? And some of that belief structure rubbed off on the nation of Israel. And so who they were initially started getting a little distorted, okay? And so uh, enter into the conversation the Pharisees of the time. So when Jesus showed up, the Pharisees were kind of the leading uh, group that taught God's word. And they get a bad rap, yeah? I mean, everybody read your Bible? Jesus seems like he doesn't like these guys, yeah? They get rebuked, they get cursed. I mean, really, it's like... Jesus is like, you guys got it all wrong, yeah? And for me, I, I feel like they had the good, a good intention. It just didn't play out right. Okay, so one of the, the, their goals was throughout the, the history of Israel, right, when they started getting conquered by these other places and these other rules and these other countries and these other nations, they, they started giving up the thing that set them apart from all these countries, right? Ultimately, their love for God. And they started worshiping other gods, which in God's eyes was heresy. I mean, that's like the worst thing you can do, right? To give thanks and praise to some created thing rather than the God that created all. I mean, read Romans chapter one. I mean, if you want to offend God, start giving praise and thanks and honor to somebody else or something else for what God is doing. That's not a good place to live. Okay? I mean, you can make errors in your own life, but give praise and thanks back to the one who deserves it all. Either every good and perfect gift is from the Lord or it's not. And it's from you and your own skill and talent and suave, you know, or from somebody else, a random chance or a flip of a coin. And so this nation started doing those things. So the rabbis come on, right? These Pharisees come on and they're like, let's remove ourselves from the, the world, further define the law, elaborate it for everybody, you know, so that it's clearly understood what is required of us. But along the way, uh, and they probably didn't see it happening, 
but the, I guess the ramifications of this practice was the, the a hardening of their heart, where they, it became way more religious than relational, yeah? And so I want to read a little bit from uh, Mark chapter 7. Uh, I, I don't have it on scripture, uh, on, on the screen, because it's, it's, it's kind of wide. It's kind of ringing a little bit, Brooks. Um, but let me read for you Mark chapter 7, and, and I think you guys will start to see a little bit of um, the belief system of the Pharisees. So not only were they opening up the, the law and the, and the teachings for people to understand, but along the way, they, they just got some things out of place, okay? So Mark chapter 7, verse 1, now when the Pharisees gathered to him Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? One of the, their, their belief system was that if we, we, we are part of the world and we touch things in the world, your hand doesn't get dirty. You're a dirty person. Right? I mean, if I touch something dirty, I understand that my hand's dirty. But for them, it was if we touch things of the world, not only will your hand be dirty, but you could be ceremonial unclean. Okay? And so Jesus would reply, and he says, uh, Well did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold rather to the traditions of men. Verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart a man comes evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So the Pharisees really tried to do as much as they could to tend to the outside of a person, right? Outwardly demonstrating your love and adoration and your allegiance to God by not stealing and you know, practicing the commands and fulfilling the laws. But ultimately along the way, they... they fail to understand that our outward behavior came from an inward distance from the Lord. Amen? And so Jesus had to just make a little shift on them. See, outwardly you guys are saying all the right things, but innerly you're not behaving and believing all the right things, or at least the right one. 
Because for them, it became more uh, obligation and religious, right? Rather than this relationship and this adoration of God. And because of his love for us, we would demonstrate our lives by our behavior. So as I was studying this, I just started thinking and, and I started identifying almost with these Pharisees. And I felt within me a Pharisaical spirit rise up within my own self. I started applying this word into this uh, 2017 and thinking there are hundreds, if not thousands of people in this world who have what? Good intentions to seek God. What do they look like? People who go to church all the time. People who carry their Bibles all the time. People who say the prayers all the time. Not out of relationship, but out of obligation. See, I was raised in the church, and, and, and the kids who come to our church here, they get the same teachings. If you love God, right, here's a way that you can strengthen your faith. Come to church. Read your Bible. Say your prayers. Give your offerings. Those things in and of themselves aren't wrong. But those things taken out of context and out of relationship become more religious than relational. I didn't really realize that I, that I had this... Uh, I didn't realize I had this issue. Anybody there? You know? You know? You know, you live your whole life and then you realize, like, I got issues, you know? <laughs> when I went to college, I, uh, I think it was my, my freshman year, second semester, I had uh, one class, Tuesday and Thursday. And I was like, yeah, shaka, you know? When I was in college, man, by the time I got to college, I was 100% sold out to the Lord. I loved God with all my heart, with all my soul. I mean, really... You asked me what I was going to do with my life, and I could tell you, I don't know what specifically that would look like, but I know it's going to incorporate some aspect of me loving God more. I love God. I love the church. I served the church. I served other people. I had a heart for the lost. I mean, I preached my first sermon when I was in eighth grade, uh, prayed for my first friend in middle school to receive the Lord. By the time I got to high school, I mean, we were leading worship, leading the youth group, and, and not just me, just all of my friends. So by the time I got to you know, college, I mean, we, we had been pretty seasoned believers. And so when I got these Tuesday, Thursdays off, I was thinking, awesome. My afternoon class isn't until like 2.30. I get to wake up, eat breakfast, spend some time with the Lord, you know, do some early morning devotionals. Man, I'm going to be a good Christian. <laughs> Seriously, that's exactly my mindset. But as tendency happens... And college lifestyle happens, you know. I don't have class in the afternoon. I'm going to stay up till 2.30, 2.45, hanging out with my friends, talking story, you know. And in the morning, you know, my morning wasn't at 8 o'clock, you know. It was a little bit later and I woke up and rushed to the cafeteria to make sure I can get the afternoon lunch before the doors closed. And before I knew it, what happened? I had to go to class. And I remember getting to a, a place in my life where I was so, man, I just was so depressed. And I started telling myself, Kaipo, you're so dumb. You know, like here you are with a heart that loves God and you have all these good intentions, but the outward practice, man, you are failing. 
you're not waking up early, you're not spending the time, and you're not doing your morning devotionals, you're a bad Christian. And it just, it just ruffled me, you know? I just was like, ah, oh, I couldn't sleep, and I couldn't, because inside of me was this drive, this desire to express my love for God. I mean, my entire life up until that moment showed itself in this way. Like, if I love God, you're going to pray. If you love God, you're going to discipline yourself. You're going to wake up in the morning. And you're going to write in your devotional. And you're going to spend a good five minutes, you know, opening up the daily bread and writing a little bit of prayer. There's definitely seasons where I was the good Christian and I was doing that. But all of a sudden, I wasn't. And what really helped move me from that bondage was God coming to me and he asked me, Kaipo, do you love me? And I was like, God, you, you know. You know, man, that within inside of me is such the, the heart and the soul and the mind. I mean, the strength might not be there. But the desire is there. Amen. And it's like, are you my son? I said, yes. You my daddy. I love you with all my heart. I'll do anything for you. It's like, that's all I need. There's no such thing as being a good or bad Christian. Either we're sons of God and daughters of God or you're not. And God really took me so very gently out of this stage of living this religious life out of obligation into this place of relationship with God where all I did was this overflowing because God's love was already expressed to me, I could live a life of adoration to him. And so when I prayed, it wasn't out of obligation. It was to talk to my daddy. When I read, it wasn't because I had to. It was because I wanted to. I wanted to hear his words. That for God so loved the world, Kaipo. That I sent my one and only son. You know? That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life. That when I went to church, it was never out of obligation. It was always a desire to fellowship with the body of Christ. Whether it was at my local body or, you know, in a room with some friends in, in, in a living room or, you know, at some mega church. I mean, it, it didn't matter to me. But Sunday morning, I wake up and I'd fellowship with the church. Amen? And so God really started working out of me this pharisaical behavior. I'm not sure where you are this morning, but man, if you're going to come to church, you know, 50-ish days, you know, weekends out of the year, I would hope that it would be to draw yourself closer to the Father. Amen? Not to be just this checklist of things that we think that we should do. Good? Yeah. Man, it was good for me. I know it was good for you. <laughs> There's another problem that arises within this talk of um, loving others. Jesus says that how we love one another will, will be the very thing that will show proof of your uh, 
uh, of you being a good disciple of the Father, right? So Jesus says that the world will know, right, that you're my disciple by how you love one another. What's the problem with that? I mean, it makes sense, right? It makes sense that our father was loving and he sent his son Jesus who was loving and Jesus when he was loving and so if we would be followers of Jesus, we would be loving, okay? But that would be the very thing Jesus says that would separate us from everybody else by how we loved one another. What was the problem with that? There's an exclusive claim here that if we love one another, it's going to show ourselves to be true followers of the Lord. But the problem with that was that that initial command to love one another wasn't given exclusively or to Jesus' followers. It was actually given to the whole nation of Israel. So along the way, they, they lost love for God, but they also lost love for one another. So Jesus comes onto the scene and he almost reinstitutes this claim like, hey, for us to be God's people, we got to love one another. It was what was commanded back in the day. And so uh, in, this is John 13, 35. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you to love one another. It was new to them, but it wasn't a new command. It was actually a very old command that got distorted along the way, became more religious out of the way, and the loving command became less loving. And so Jesus comes on, he says, I'm going to give you a new command. But it wasn't actually a new command. It was the same command that got distorted over time. And it's up to us, church, to make sure that what? God's word doesn't get distorted. I mean, the word that we're preaching this morning is at the youngest, 2,000 years old, you know? But just because we live another 1,000 years, it doesn't necessarily mean that what? That this is going to change. As long as White Buddha, you know, Pastor Shot is here or I'm here, we'll continue to preach love God, you know? And pray for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, amen? But so it got kind of distorted along the way. And so... Uh, In Isaiah 49.6, God, uh, so Isaiah's uh, prophesying to the nation of, of Israel of the time, and, and, he, and he gets to this scripture, and, and it's awesome, okay? It's really good. It's, it's really God's purpose, initial purpose and calling for the nation, yeah? And ultimately, what it states is that you, my people, are called to be the light onto nations, Yeah? That when God came and he began this work of salvation, he chose and developed and groomed this nation to be what? His nation. Set apart from the world, unlike anybody else. Loving the one true God and not treating others however you wanted to treat them, but treating other people as how God would want us to treat them. They were supposed to be this light onto the nations, a pathway onto God. But rather becoming a pathway onto God and being separated from the world, they became just like the world. And so their original purpose to become the light onto the nations was lost. So fast forward, right, to Jesus coming on the scene. And Jesus reinstitutes this very calling. And this for me is, is one of my most favorite scriptures in all the Bible. 
If you got your own Bible today, well, even if you got your neighbor's or friend's Bible, this is a good highlighter. If you want to be a good Christian, highlight this verse. You guys, you guys follow me, right? You guys follow me, okay? Right? So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gets to verse 13, and he starts talking about be the salt of the earth, right? And he gets to verse 14, and he says what? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, or people light a lamp and put it on their basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house. And verse 16 can be the banner of your life right here. This is the miracle right here, Okay? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a miracle that happens when we give our heart and lives to the Lord is that when we do good deeds, we don't get the credit. See, in the vast majority of this world, when people do good things, they are good people. But somehow, miraculously, in, in, in the mystery of Christ hidden within our lives, we can live in such a way where people say, man, your living and your love and your lifestyle is a little bit different than just a good person. Something else is happening. And at the end of the day, they get to see God in you. That's a mic dropper. And I just took the mic off. It's a mic dropper right there. Right? That's the miracle. That I would demonstrate my love for God in such a way where I would be loving to other people. And rather than seeing Kaipo, they would see the maker in me. That's mind-blowing. That's absolutely ridiculousness. That people would see the perfect God in imperfect me. By the way that I love them. Come on, church. Right? That is like, I can't, I, I, it's, I can't even fathom that somehow I would be identified with the all-creator, living God, the all-holy one. Holy, separated from man, and yet set on to man. Oh, right? So Jesus, right, in John 8, 12 says what? I am the light of the world. So my question to you is, how do we become the light? How do we get this light that was in him in us, right? And then so we fast forward to the birth of the church, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? When it says, you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses to the world. How do we become the light? Well, through our faith and trust in the Lord, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. Yeah, so we've got the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Scripture says that when we become followers of him and we give his lives, there's this process of him filling us. Yeah? Where it becomes, yes, God and us, but more him than us, and sometimes we're us than him, but ultimately God imprints himself on us. Amen? fills us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so his light, right, comes into our lives. And so what is our mission? The great commission to go out into the world and love people. That's not what it says there. What does it say? To go into the world and 
make disciples. But how did Jesus make disciples? He loved those that were near to him. He made sacrifices for the people that were near to him. And he ultimately reproduced himself by spending time with those that were around him. Loving strangers, loving enemies, loving those who persecuted him. I mean, Jesus ultimately, right, demonstrated onto us in numerous ways how to love one another. He demonstrates onto us how to love the, I mean, think about the, the words from the cross, right? Father, forgive them. What? For they know not what they do. Right? And then the prisoner on the side saying like, Guys, are you listening to what this guy is saying? Father, forgive them? No. Send fire and brimstone, you know? Jesus, before he went to the cross, right? He had his supper, his supper with his disciples. Before they ate, Jesus was, uh, he was there a little bit early. He sent home the slave for the night. He took out his outer garment and, and he waited on the disciples and he washed their feet. See, there were slaves in the time and almost a hierarchy of slaves. And the lowest of the lowly slaves were the people who sat at the front door from these people, uh, from the general public when they came in from outside. And they would sit there and wash people's feet. Jesus sends that guy home and he says, I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. And Jesus starts washing their feet. And what does Peter say? It's not going to happen. If anybody's washing feet, I'm washing your feet. Right? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve in sacrificial love. It is our calling. It is our destiny. It is our command from God to love our neighbors. To love people of the faith, to love people who aren't of the faith. The most important aspect of our lives here, how we love one another. And we need God's help, amen? Because it's a, you know, it's a little sticky sometimes. I'm not sure if you're like me, but there's a lot of times in life where rather than loving those whom love me, I do the very opposite. Where I can be loving to strangers and I can hurt those who I love the most. And that's just my own flesh, you know? When I do things that just hurt other people, people who I really care about. Man, I, and I need God. Amen? Because my love has conditions. His love has no conditions. So I, I need a little bit of Jesus in me. Because I'm limited in, in, in my understanding and my capacity to really love those who need some extra. Come hang out with me on Friday nights with the junior high boys. You're going to need some spirit inside of you. <laughs> one, last, um, one last scripture and, and we're done this morning. So in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor, right? Praying for those who persecute you, Yeah loving your enemies. He, he sums up that passage with, with a statement that you have to catch because I think some of you guys have heard this before but not within the context of how we love one another. So at the end of that little passage in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect within this context of 
love for others. Yes, perfect in our demonstration and in how we, you know, whether we are like the world and, and, and those things, yes. But ultimately, within this context of how we love one another, Jesus says, you have to be perfect. And for me, rather than getting me outside of like running away from this, I want to engage more in it, you know? Like I want to like, yeah, like my main call is to love others. Let's get good at that, okay? So Paul says, right, I want to be all things to all people in order that some might be saved, you know? Like Paul's like, it doesn't matter who I am and, 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 and really how, what I get to do or not to do as long as I keep the Lord number one, you know, and follow his teachings. Man, let's have fun loving other people, Yeah? Let's have fun. I mean, if you guys are great surfers and you got a car, put somebody else in the passenger seat, you know? Grab another board, take them surfing. That's, that's fun, you know? I can get really good at surfing and that can be an expression of my love for God. Yeah, some of you guys are good cooks. Invite somebody over to your house. If you don't need a good cook, call me up. I'll practice. <laughs> yeah? And, I, and I'll, I'll, test it, I'll test it out a little bit like a cup bearer, you know? Yeah, this is good food, good enough. To, if you got other recipes, let me know. Call me over. You know? Let's get really good, Waipuna Chapel, at loving people. Let people come into this place and see that we love one another, yeah, in real practical ways. Meeting needs, and not just meeting needs, but hanging out with people. You know? Inviting somebody to a lunch after church, you know, inviting somebody to your house after church, you know, inviting them to your life group. You know, if you're not in a life group, hopefully somebody who is in a life group will invite you to their life group after this service. You know, but just really, we want to be perfect in this manner of loving the Lord and loving others. We good? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done.